Thanks for listening to another leadership podcast from Pastor Jurgen and the team here at C3 San Diego. To find out more about our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's actually 13 years yesterday, the 21st of August, that we started, man. It was funny. And beautiful Kat and Jesse were there. Pastor Jeff Sullivan, before he was a pastor, before he changed his name to Jesse. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. Oh, it's so funny. I was so nervous on the sermon because I felt the Holy Spirit. I wanted to preach a a real funny Jürgen message. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. They're going to fall in love with me. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, I want you to preach on me. I'm like, oh, dear. Oh, it's all about... Oh, hang on, it is, actually. It is all about you. And uh, so I was really nervous. So then I get, we pull up to church because I'm trying to ask him what funny stories can I put in there to get away with. And he's like, no, nah, that's not going to work. I'm like, oh, come on, just give me one funny story. Just throw me a bone here, would you? And, uh, and we get to church and Leanne's like, oh, did you get the newsletters from the printers? I'm like, yeah. She goes, did you fold them? Da-da. I'm like... And then I look up and I see Jeff and Kat. I'm like, Jeff! Jeff! And I'm thinking, man, he's done too many tours in Iraq, he can't even hear. <laughs> Calling his name. <laughs> I woke up, Jeff! And he turns around and said, mate, can you guys fold newsletters? Yeah, so they're folding newsletters. And the end's like, who have you got greeting people when they walk in? Jeff! <laughs> so come on, let's put our hands together for Jesse and Kat Sullivan. I called him a wrong name. He was there folding newsletters, welcoming people. It's their very first Sunday. They're visitors and they're welcoming people. Welcome to church. <laughs> oh, what a journey. You can be seated. What an unbelievable journey, what God did. Pastor Andrew Bennett and Princess. Remember loading Princess the night before and Andrew had this, uh, this red, was it a Bedford van? It was a Dodge V8 Ram made back in the 1930s or something. And uh, it, it fit snugly. It snugly fit all of, the, uh, all of our entire sound system in there. The mixing board, all the speakers, the foldback, all the cables, everything in there. And uh, man, it was funny, wasn't it? Little tiny stage. I don't think it was the, the room probably wasn't bigger than this. You know, 57 people in there on the first Sunday. And uh, now look at what God's done. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. What a journey. What a journey. Do you know that uh, God doesn't just have, you know, a journey for the church, but he has a journey for you. Did you know that? The beautiful thing about Christianity is it's not like a, you know, a religion that you subscribe to and then uh, kind of adopt. It's actually an encounter with God who then takes you on a journey. And the most beautiful thing about God is, uh, you know, he created the depths of the seas and he created the heights of the heavens. And you will find that in your journey with God that he will take you to the heights and he'll also at moments in your journey take you right down into the depths, into the dark places where there's pressure, where no light can enter, where it's difficult. And he'll take you down there because there's something down there, something deep that's lodged on the inside of you that's going to limit or inhibit 
something he wants to deposit in you to take you to the next level. So come in, let me give you three scriptures that aren't going to make any sense at first, and then we'll, we'll tie them together. Come with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse uh, 15. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. And he's just talking about his, uh, you know, his kind of conversion moment. You remember that he was kind of riding in on the road to Damascus and an angel or a bright light hits him, knocks him down off his high horse. He's blind and, you know, the, the voice speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you? Who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And, and then uh, Saul's blind, and then he has to go to the house of uh, Ananias, and Ananias prays for him, and the, the scales fall off him three days later, and then he has this radical conversion, and, and uh, Barnabas brings him into the fold. And, and now something happens that a lot of people don't talk about, and it's here, verse 15. says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I just underline that I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Now come with me to uh, the book of Luke, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. It's pretty quiet in here this morning, the gospel of Luke. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1, says, And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness. Into the wilderness. Okay, now go over to verse 14 of the same chapter. Verse 14 of the same chapter says, Then Jesus returned from the wilderness. Jesus returned from the wilderness in the in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through the surrounding region. Now come with me one more time. Just go back one chapter to, to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Idorea and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the, in the wilderness, in the wilderness. You know, what's amazing is that uh, as a human being, you, are, you and I are created in the image and the likeness of God. God is a trinity. God is a triune being. And in the same way you are, you, have a, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you are housed in a body. So there, there are three parts to you. Your spirit is what, is what picks up God. Your, your, your spirit is, is that discerning factor. Uh, your, your spirit is how you commune with God, how you sense the presence of God. Your spirit is how you sense the presence of evil. Sometimes uh, I've been in situations where I feel like somebody's behind me. I turn, there's nobody there, and all the hair goes up on the back of my neck and then on, on my arms. And then I realize there is, there is something there. It's just not human. 
There's a demonic presence because your spirit discerns it. There are times you're talking to people and they are saying every, every word, every vernacular is right, but something in here, something in your gut, something in your little, I call it a little Noah. It's like a little Noah in there just knows things. And, and they're saying everything right, but in here you're like, ah, this ain't adding up. I, I hear what you're saying, that there's a, the words, everything you're saying is what I want to hear, but something just doesn't add up. There's something hollow, there's something broken, there's something spirit. God speaks spirit to spirit. When God communicates to you, God communicates spirit to spirit. The church is actually built on, the, on revelation from the Holy Spirit to you. Jesus says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, you know, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. He says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon goes, oh, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood hath not revealed this. In other words, you didn't get that revelation from, from flesh and blood. You, you, you didn't discern that with your brain with the gray matter of your mind, this was, a, this was revealed to you by my Father. God reveals spirit to spirit. God reveals spirit to spirit. God created Adam from the ground. You and I are, you know, 80% water and, you know, the rest minerals that when we die just kind of goes back into the soil, goes back into the ground. But then God breathed into Adam a spirit and Adam becomes a living being and boom, boom. Everything begins to, to function. And it's that spirit part of you that communes with God, that connects with God. Jesus at the well in John chapter 4, uh, is at the well of Samaria, says to her that the, the, the Father seeks those who worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship in spirit and in truth. The reason tongues is so important, the reason tongues is so powerful is because when I'm praying in tongues, Paul says, my mind is unfruitful. My mind doesn't have to be engaged in, or literally my mind doesn't get in the way. You'll find the greatest thing, and this is, this is how uh, we've kind of done what we've done over the you know, 20-something years, 27 years now, gosh, of ministry, is that there are many, many times where in my, if I was to pray my natural mind, my natural mind would talk me out of the situation. Well, I would look at a Desconso, and you know, we're, we're, looking at, we're looking at buying Desconso, and, and, uh, and then God says, oh, I also want you to buy a ranch, a risen ranch, you know, and, and we're one and a half million dollars short of getting any type of funding to buy Desconso, and then God says, and buy a ranch. And then, so then I just know I'm not going to say no to God. I've done it too many times. So, okay, all right, we'll do that. And then it goes, all right, then, and now I want you to take over a church in another city that's, you know, kind of laden down with a whole lot of debt, and you've got to keep all the staff on and just absorb the debt. So you're going to go backwards 360 grand, plus you got your $1.5 million short to buy this, plus you've got to buy this, and in the natural, everything looked crazy. So what I did was I didn't pray with my mind because my mind discerns all the elements. So I know the only way I can get breakthrough is I've got to step out of the natural and I've got to step into the spirit. I've got to step into the spirit because with God, all things are possible. 
So you will always find that there is a wrestle between your carnality, your flesh, your humanity, and then the divine spark of what God has put on the inside of you, which is your spirit. That's why the greatest thing Jesus says, man, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power. They're like, dude, we don't need to wait. We saw you die on the cross, and now you're here risen. Are you kidding? We're having breakfast with you on the beach. We're ready to go and tell everybody what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced. And Jesus says, listen, even though you are eyewitnesses, I need you to wait in Jerusalem till you receive power. You will receive power. And the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and the whole house was filled. And then there were divided tongues of fire, and they came upon each of them, and they began to They began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Jesus says, you can't do this mission, you can't do this assignment unless you receive this power. And it is the power to look beyond the screaming, uh, the screams of your humanity, of your flesh, of your carnality, of your education, of all your circumstances, of natural elements telling you it is impossible. You can't buy this building. You can't qualify for finances. You're one and a half million short. For goodness sake, don't buy buy a risen ranch. And for goodness sake, don't take on another property. But obedience with God, come on somebody, is greater than trying to forge it out in your own strength. So as you begin to pray in the spirit and even my brain the whole time man it's not going to work come on man are you serious it doesn't add up and it's got this little abacus out and it's moving all the things and like get rid of your abacus brain would you and uh, you know and then it's like calculator and like stop it and so you got to pray in the spirit and 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 you'll find that there's a moment when you pray in the holy ghost i find sometimes it takes five minutes sometimes it'll take 25 minutes but allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you because He shifts things that you can't shift. Paul says, when I speak in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is disengaged. My mind is unfruitful. And sometimes you need that because I find that my brain gets in the way. I find that my brain gets in the way. I prayed for people and, and I'll hear the doctor's report just as I go to pray or someone will you know, think that they're well-meaning saying, oh yeah, and the doctor said it's incurable. And then I'm like, oh shoot. And then I'm laying my hand on them, and in my head, the last word I heard was incurable. Now, I know with Jesus, but I'm looking at the body, and I'm looking at all the, the cause, and I'm looking at the beep, you know, all the, the office, uh, the hospital equipment, and everything in the natural. But I know that if I pray in the natural, they don't need somebody to tell them what they've already been told. They don't need someone who agrees with this diagnosis. I got to get into a zone. I got to get into an atmosphere. I got to get into a place. I've got to tap into the all things are possible network and I find that the Holy Spirit is not swayed by the possibilities or the impossibilities of men and so I've got to get into that zone. I've got to get into that zone and begin to You know, Dr. Matt was telling me yesterday that uh, somebody came up to him at, um, at North County, at, at our uh, North Campus there and, and uh, said, you know, um, you know when, are you, when are you guys going to stop praying in tongues in church and Dr. Matt's like oh, I'm never and he goes well I just want you to know your pastor's getting a bad reputation in San Diego because he speaks in tongues without interpreting so let me just kind of just give you a little teaching on that first of all the, the Bible says the Bible says in the church Paul's writing when you gather in the church because the Corinthians were, were Greeks Corinth is part of Greece 
And so because they were Gentiles and they'd received the Spirit and spoke in tongues, this was their badge like, hey, look, we're, we're on the in crowd with God as well. So all they would do on a Sunday is they would all come together and only speak in tongues. And Paul's like, look, that's fantastic. He goes, but at least prophesy. At least move on. All you guys do is you come together and awesome. You're all, you're all saved. Well done. But move on so other people are edified. And so he says, listen, and when you get up, you know, someone's going, and people are yelling out, amen. You've got no idea what the heck they're saying. He says, why don't you do this? Because you've got all these new people coming in because it's a phenomenon and they've got no idea what you're saying and they're not being ministered to. They're not being blessed. So if someone's going to get up here with a microphone and begin to and begin to prophesy, begin to, to uh, proclaim a message in tongues, you can actually step into the next gift, which is, is interpretation of tongues, so the person hears and can receive a word. So at the most, let there be two or three and pray for an interpretation. Now watch this, and then it says this, if there's no interpreter, watch this, let him stay silent in the church. Now watch this, it says it's got a comma. Most people put a full stop. So you, whenever you talk to the nitwits, Whenever you talk to the theological nitwits in these other places, they put a period where God has got a comma. It says, let him stay silent in the church, which means in the congregation, and let him pray in tongues to himself and to God. The Bible says there are three types of tongues, the tongues of men, the tongues of angels, and unknown tongues. Unknown tongues is your personal prayer language. When you pray in tongues, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to God. What are you saying? None of your beeswax. It's between me and Him. Now, if I get up and say, guys, I've got a word for you. Well, then, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, well, then, then it needs to be interpreted. It needs an interpretation because it's to you. But if, if I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to God. I remember many years ago, I was in um, Colombia at uh, Cesar Castellanos's uh, G12 conference. And the, the people in front of me were, for, were a church from the Netherlands. And I, I can understand a little bit of Dutch, you, you know, German being my first language. Well, the people in front of them were German. The people behind me were French. The people over here were uh, from England. And, and, uh, and I remember in the, the worship, we all had headphones so that we could understand because everything was in Espanol. And, uh, and, but then I remember the worship leader just says, just begin to worship. God in your own language. And so the Dutch began to worship in Dutch. The Germans began to worship in German. The French behind me began to worship in French. You know, all of us Aussies, you know, sang, what do we speak in Australia? Aussie. It's kind of a, it's kind of a you know, a distorted English. And, uh, you know, and then the Brits are over there worshiping in British, aren't they? You know, worshiping. And uh, now, now did, 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 the Dutch, did the Dutch need to interpret to me? what they were singing? Why not? I didn't, I didn't understand, because it wasn't to me, it was to God. Did the Germans need to tell me, did the Germans need to in, you know, interpret for everybody else? What they were saying? No, they were speaking in their native language, they were worshipping in their native language to God. It didn't require interpretation, because it wasn't to us or for us, it was to God, for God. And so just, just understand all of that. That's, there's just some... So anyway, so getting, getting back to this, so, so, there, there's, so you and I have, have 
I believe like two, two forces going at once. The Apostle Paul says, you know, the things that I, I want to do, I don't end up doing. The things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. He talks about this conflict. In Galatians 5, it, it talks about the spirit and the flesh. It says the spirit wars against the flesh and the flesh wars against the spirit. These are contrary to one another so that I don't do what I wish. Anybody ever notice how you got this, this flesh nature that's, you know, saying be selfish, you know, do this. And then the spirit nature saying, no, don't do that. Glorify God. Anybody? Just me? I'm the only one? Okay. All right. So, so I've noticed there's this, this dual nature. Now, when I get saved, I get saved body, soul, spirit. I get saved body, soul, spirit. When I get called, I get called body, soul, spirit. But God speaks to my spirit. So Joseph at 17 begins to dream. The dream is the realm of the spirit. The dream is the realm of the supernatural. So he begins to dream the dreams of God. He begins to see sun, moon, and stars bowing, sheaves in the field bowing before him. This is, this is the dreams of God. The problem is the dreams of God are housed in a carnal body. Your carnal body, your flesh, within your flesh, Paul says, nothing good within my flesh dwells. So now I find that, that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. So I find that God calls me. He calls me whether I'm good and He calls me whether I'm bad. He calls me whether I'm smart. He calls me, he calls me whether I study or he, he just calls me. God just calls me. Many are called, few are chosen, like Pastor Andrew said. So, so, so there's a calling. Now I find that God wants to go to work on my character. My character is, is the ability of my flesh to cooperate with my spirit. Carnality is where I make my spirit follow the yearnings and the appetite of my flesh. Spirituality or character is developed where I get my flesh to follow my spirit to follow what the Holy Spirit is saying to my spirit. So you will find that, that God, is, God is always working on your character. Yeah. It was Joseph's character that was tested. Joseph was alone in a house with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar was no doubt unfaithful to her and she thought well I've got a slave boy I can I can get my own back but Joseph's like sweetheart I I'm not your tool for revenge and this is not how God designed sexuality this is not how how it's going to be it's, this is not how it's going to go down and so but it was a testing because in Egypt the penalty for adultery for a woman is death so she would have been stoned to death if she would have told anybody. So literally she's in the house. There's no one else in the house. Joseph could have had sex with Potiphar's wife. She ain't telling anybody. Joseph could have not told anybody. He could have had a little piece of pleasure on the side and nobody would have been, been told. Nobody would have known about it except Joseph would have known about it. Because come on, at every sin I've committed, I was there. You know how they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? No, it doesn't. You take it with you when you leave. And it spins around in your head and it's in here. You're like, oh, dear God, what did I? And God knows. And you can't short-circuit short God. You can't deceive God. Everything is laid bare before God. So it was a test of Joseph's character. Now, getting back, I, I love this in, in uh, Luke chapter 3. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So 
Tiberius Caesar is, is kind of reigning over the land. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea. Herod is the tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, the tetrarch of Idaria in the region of Trachonitis. Lysanias is the tetrarch of Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of the Lord came to John. So watch this. God is sending His Word. God does everything through His Word. God changes things through His Word. The Bible says He sent forth His Word and He healed them. When God wanted to save mankind, God sent His Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It was the Word that was crucified because it was the Word that was attacked in the garden. Now the Word was crucified to show that it can withstand. That's why if you criticize the Quran, you're killed. But people can have been criticizing the Bible for 2,000 years because God's like, I can take it. Man, we, we, we crucified this same Word. 2,000 years ago and it rose again on the third day. This word, you can do whatever you like to this word. This word has a power within it. It does not need the hand of man to defend it. There is something supernatural. There is a divine power backing it up. So, so God does everything through His word. So God sends His word. So the word comes into, into the Middle East. The word comes into Israel. The word comes into this region. And here is, here is Tiberius Caesar Caesaring. And the word comes and it hovers over him and it looks for a place to rest. But his heart is so full of wickedness and corruption that the word has to pass off from him. It then comes to Pontius Pilate and it sees, sees that he's conflicted. It sees that Pilate is, he, he will do whatever men say, whatever is popular. That's why years later, he doesn't want to crucify Jesus. He gets a letter from his wife saying, I have nothing to do with Jesus. I'm suffering things in a dream because of him. This man is a holy man. He recognizes, but because the crowd says, crucify him, crucify him, he releases to them Barabbas because his own position and his own welfare and his own profile and his own privilege is more important than honoring God. And so the word, the word can't find a resting place with Pilate and so it moves on. It goes to Herod and it sees Herod, the slaughter of the innocents, can't rest on this man. And it goes to Philip, it can't rest on him. It can't go to Trachonitis, it can't go on him. And then finally goes to Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest. And it thinks surely the high priest, but they are so full of religious hypocrisy that they are the ones who end up handing Jesus over to be crucified because he threatens their establishment. He threatens their traditions and the Holy Spirit can't rest there. The word of the Lord can't rest there. And so the word of the Lord goes all throughout the city finding somewhere to rest and it can't. And finally it shoots out into the wilderness. And out in the wilderness there's a man dressed in a camel hair suit with a leather belt around his waist. His food is locusts and wild honey. But he's crying out to God. He's got a hold of God in the wilderness. He's not in the synagogues. He's not in the city. He's in the wilderness and he's crying out to God. God use me. God use me. Lord you, use, you revealed to to my parents when I was little that I would make straight the paths of God. You revealed that an Elijah is coming. God, let me be that man. Let me be that man. And the word of the Lord stops. Just hovers over him. And then the word of the Lord rests upon him. And all of a sudden he begins to preach. And the Bible says that all the people from Jerusalem, from Judea, from Samaria, from all the uttermost regions came to hear John in the wilderness. They weren't crossing the streets to the synagogues. There was a synagogue on every corner. They were walking out into the wilderness where there was no seating, there was no cooling, there was no air conditioning, there was no comfortable 
There was no shops. There was no water. There was no, but they went there because what they had in the wilderness was somebody who carried the word of the Lord. He had the now word. Do not be afraid of wilderness moments. The apostle Paul gets saved. And instead of going up to Jerusalem, he says, instead of going there, I went out into the deserts. I went out into the deserts of Arabia because I knew the scriptures, but I knew them in a wrong context. I knew them. There was hostility and hatred and there was murder and I needed to go into the wilderness and needed to let the Holy Spirit unravel all of my dysfunction. I needed to let him deal with all my disqualifications. God will always take you through wilderness moments. In a wilderness, don't fret. In a wilderness, don't be afraid. You, you may say, well, hang on, I feel like I'm being overlooked. I feel like right now God is pounding me. I feel like right now God is isolating. I feel like I'm alone. I'm abandoned. I feel like I've got nothing else. That's the work of God. A wilderness is a lonely place. It's a dry place. In a wilderness, your, your, your search and your quest in a wilderness is survival. If I was to drop you off in the Mojave Desert right now, you may say, man, this is awesome. I'm going to get a tan. But an hour later, you're like, I better find some water. A day later, you better find some water. Because if you don't find water, you're going to die. you got three days to find water before you die of dehydration. So a wilderness is about survival. And in a wilderness, God takes you through wildernesses so that in a desert moment, you know how to find water. My, Pastor Leanna, my, our journey has been, I'd love to tell you only one wilderness. It has been seasons of wilderness. And in every single wilderness, it is, it is God bringing me to a place that is hostile environment around me externally because on the internal, he wants to know, can you find a spring? Can you dig and find water? Do you know how to tap into where you don't need anything to change around about you because it's not what's outside of you, it's what's on the inside of you because I'm sending my word, I'm sending my anointing. The wilderness all always precedes promotion. The wilderness always precedes promotion. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Verse 14, and Jesus returned from the wilderness to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And his fame, fame spread all around Jerusalem, Samaria. You will find that every single wilderness you walk through, the wilderness is not there to trip you up. It's not there to take something away. The wilderness is there just to precede your promotion. But in the wilderness, can you survive? Do you need your stuff? Do you need your friends? Do you need your accolades? Do you need your title? Do you need your position? Do you need your popularity? Do you need your Twitter followers? Do you need your Facebook followers? Do you, do you need all of those things? Or, or is it just about me? God will refine you. What is it that's driving you? Is popularity, is acceptance, is affirmation, is approval driving you? Or is nothing else driving you but glorifying God, discovering God? You will find that God takes you through purification processes. He takes you through purification processes and He can't do it in the city. He's got to take you into a wilderness experience. Experience. There are going to be moments where you feel like you've lost all your friends. Wow. There are times where your growth, as you, as you walk with God, you'll find that your friends that liked you when you were compromised, that liked you when you were partying, that liked you when you drank too much, that liked you when you, now suddenly they don't like you anymore. 
and, and your fervor and your zeal for the house and, and your commitment and devotion to be the, an intern or, or, or to turn up two or three times on a Sunday or to serve on this team or start a connect group, all of a sudden they're threatened because your, your, your passion reveals and exposes their mediocrity. And so all of a sudden now you're, you're persecuted. And it's lonely because I thought we were friends, I thought, and, and you've outgrown them, and now you're in a place where it's all new, and the devil will try and get everything for you to go back, but you're just in a wilderness, in a wilderness, and the quest for a wilderness, find water, the quest for a wilderness is survival, and God has got a well, God has got a spring, God has got a rock that's got a river, God has got water for you in the wilderness. The Bible says he was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And literally, if, if you study, the Bible says there was a rock that followed them all the way through the wilderness for 40 years. That they would turn around and here was this rock. It, would, it was the rock that rolled. I think that's where we got rock and roll. But <laughs> literally. And that's why Moses was in trouble because God said, speak to the rock. And the rock was Christ. And he was so mad, instead of speaking to it, he struck it twice. But out of that rock came water. God is your provider in the wilderness. The wilderness is about you finding Jesus. But what he does in that wilderness is he deals with our flesh. He deals with our carnality. I found that, that my, my walk with God is I hear from God in my spirit, but my flesh gets in the way. Every single one of us arrived with generational baggage. Every single one of us arrived with generational dysfunctions. And those dysfunctions can be limitations and ceilings, but they don't need to be. They don't need to be. If you will allow the Holy Spirit, He'll take you through your wilderness. And the wilderness is always designed. It's your flesh that cries out in the wilderness. David wrote, my flesh cries out my 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 soul thirsts in a dry and weary place for god for you oh god and so there's there's something about a wilderness that causes you to deal with the carnality to deal with the insecurity to deal with the ego to deal with ambition to deal with being threatened by someone else's success well what if god is just choosing to highlight them for that season are you jealous of them or can you rejoice knowing that that your season's going to come that Philippians 1 6 he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Jesus Christ that God has got a plan for you and so he'll take you through through moments in the wilderness and it's always to deal with our flesh it's always to deal with our flesh God will speak to you spirit to spirit but then he takes us through wilderness experiences to deal with our carnality, to deal with our limitations, to deal with our flesh, to deal with all of those things that put ceilings over our life. But God has got awesome things for you. He's got awesome plans for you. Don't be afraid of the wilderness. Don't fear the wilderness. In fact, in another, uh, another part, I think it's Matthew 2, it says, and John the Baptist was in the deserts, plural, deserts with an S on the end, till the day of his manifestation to Israel. John the Baptist was in the wildernesses until the day he was revealed. 
So all of a sudden, there's nothing, and then all of a sudden, bam, here's this guy that just has this authority and this anointing that everybody comes out, and people are baptized in the Jordan, and he ca carries such authority that the military come out and say, what should we do? And he gives them instruction. Government officials comes out, and he gives them instruction. And the Pharisees comes out, and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Oh, you say that Abraham's your father? I'm telling you, now God could raise up sons to Abraham from these stones but unless you repent even now the axe is laid at the the root of the tree bear fruit worthy of repentance and he's man people hadn't heard such authority all of a sudden jesus comes down in, into into the jordan river and john the baptist looks at him and says man i'm not even worthy to untie your sandals you should be baptizing me and jesus says, no, no no permit it to be so for now for we must fulfill all righteousness in other words if i get up and i proclaim that i'm the messiah then then it rests on me alone but somebody else needs to point you out. Somebody else needs to be your spokesperson. If I get up and I say, I'm, a, I'm the apostle and I'm this and I'm that and I'm that, well, that's just my word. Jesus says that my testimony, if, if I speak about myself, my testimony is invalid. The Bible says a man is valued by what others say of him. Everybody needs an advocate. So Jesus was baptized by John in the wilderness. John was the one who says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. God takes you through wilderness moments. The wilderness is all about dealing with your carnality, dealing with those things so that what God has revealed to you, don't let go of what God has revealed to you. There are going to be moments where the flesh is going to overwhelm you where you're going to see, oh my gosh, I've got so many dysfunctions. Man, I've got so many disqualifications. But no, no, God doesn't reveal things to frustrate you. He reveals those things. He revealed them to Joseph, not because he had any plan of, na, 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 you're going to die in a prison. No, no, he, he revealed that to Joseph to get him through his prison, through being falsely accused of attempted rape when he had done nothing wrong and in a prison cell with human sewer and rats and lice running around everywhere he's looking through the bars and he knows that there is a god in heaven who is faithful and he knows that he didn't conjure up these dreams that these dreams came from a divine source and the same god that spoke to his father is the same god that spoke to his father isaac who spoke to his father abram and is the same god who's now speaking to him and he knows from the trajectory that he was faithful to abraham everything he said came to pass and he was faithful to grandpa isaac and Everything he said came to pass and he's been faithful to Yaakov, my father and everything he, and I know he's going to be faithful to me and therefore though it looks impossible I'm gonna go with what the Spirit says but right now he's dealing with my flesh can you be faithful in your betrayal can you be faithful under false accusation can you be faithful when it seems like everything has gone wrong can you continue to be faithful when it looks like promotion is out of your grasp and out of your reach can you still be faithful there God was dealing with his flesh and when Joseph was faithful God says now I can promote you because the weight of authority and glory that I'm about to rest upon you can now be sustained by the character that you've allowed me to develop. God is always working on your character. Why? Because he knows the promotion that he wants to bring you into. He just doesn't want that thing to crush you and take you out. So don't short, short circuit God. Don't shortcut God's work of character. God is always working on your character. Somebody say amen. Amen. We're out of time. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. Father, I thank you for the great journeys of God. And Father, thank you Lord God that you take us to the depths so you can exalt us to the heights and father we just embrace the wilderness we embrace the journeys 
We embrace, Father, what you've said to us. We don't let go of what you've revealed to us. But, Father, we understand that you're going to take us through wilderness moments. It's part of your discipleship. It's part of your development. And, Father, rather than reject it and run from it, Lord, we embrace it. And, and Lord, we work with you. We cooperate. We know the children of Israel had an 11-day journey through a wilderness, but they turned it into 40 years because they were so stubborn. They kept blaming everything else but themselves. So, Father, today I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't make it a 40-year issue. Whatever you're speaking on, whatever you're putting your finger on in our hearts, in our character, in our lives, Father, we cooperate with you. We deal with you. Father, our insecurities, our ambitions, our egos those little secret sins and things that we're ashamed and embarrassed about. God, we repent of those today. Touch us again. Lord, we repent again. We yield and surrender to you again. We know that your hand is on our life. You know, if God is speaking to you about something, if he's touching something, just, just stand to your feet and just turn your palms up towards the ceiling and let just the Holy Spirit just find a fresh landing place. Find a fresh landing place. Find a fresh resting place. Father, I bless you. Touch your beautiful sons and daughters today. Listen to me. <clears throat> Don't ever be afraid. It's fear that says, I can't let this go. This is a source of comfort for me. This is, a, this is something familiar came from your family. Familiar. This is familiar to me, and it's, it's all of You can let it go. You can let it go. You can trust God. You can trust God. God will never take something from you that's going to harm you. He takes things from you that he knows is harming you, is limiting you, is damaging you, and is in danger of jeopardizing the great destiny and the plan that he has for you. Father, sweep across this congregation this morning. Whatever you're touching, we cooperate. Holy Spirit, we declare again, you are Lord over our lives. Jesus, you are Lord. Whatever you're putting your finger on, I let go of it to lay hold of you. Whatever it is, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a great clap. <clears throat>